Good morning, and uh, we will be in the book of Mark, chapter 8. This morning, what a, again, uh, this very appropriate song to lead us into this, into this message. Uh, you know, again, evidence of God at work, because I did not uh, contact Pastor Lynn about this message until this morning. <laughs> it wasn't like he had time to, to think about this and what might be a, a, a beautiful segue into such a message. <laughs> That's right, because we will be talking about how the Lord gives sight to the blind today. And as you notice, my voice is just a little scratchy. It's better than what it was. I'll just give you that. Uh, throughout the week at work, you know, I do work construction, and I did not use the, the, the microphone. We have walkie-talkies at work to communicate over the vastness of the site. Last two days, I wasn't using it <laughs> just to try and help save my voice. The guys were choking, saying, yeah, I told them it's all this screaming and yelling I have to do at you guys here, which, if you know me and they know me, is quite funny, because I don't scream and yell <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, but anyways, as we begin, uh, let's just ask the Lord's blessing again on his, on his word in this time. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you thankful for your word the gift of it, the blessing of it. And we do ask uh, that uh, you bless this time and that uh, your word, your truth would come through clearly and uh, powerfully and just impact our hearts and minds and our lives. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. But yes, uh, Be Thou My Vision. My Vision, what a great song. That is, too, one of my favorite hymns. Be Thou My Vision, O Lord. As we look at this passage uh, here from verse 22 to 26 in chapter 8 of Mark, like another, uh, again, another fairly straightforward passage, event that takes place here. The Lord gives sight to a blind man. And uh, one of the things that I love about the Word of God, uh, that it's been said rightly so, that it is simple enough for a child to understand. And it is. Anyone can read this and understand it and be amazed and wowed by it. A blind person gets sight. That's interesting. That's powerful. That's cool. <laughs> That's a word. But there's also depth to the Word of God. So much depth that some of the greatest theologians could drown in it <laughs> if they're not careful. And there is, there is both simplicity and depth, always, in the Word of God. And as we look at this passage, talking about giving sight to the blind, is anyone here vision impaired? <laughs> I know some of you are, I can see it. Well, for some of those who don't know me, you may be looking at me and think, it's like, oh, he looks like he's got good vision. <laughs> I'm wearing my contacts. <laughs> um, no, my vision, uh, ever since I can remember, was terrible. Uh, terrible. I remember when I finally, it was seventh grade, before I finally was given a vision test that I can remember, because up till that point, I thought it, everyone saw the way I did, which I could never understood, because I literally would sit probably three feet from the TV, and I would get yelled at for it, but I was like, how can you see anything from me in the back of the room? And when they finally put those on and they start, you know, clicking those little dials, you know, put that big thing in front of you with all those different uh, uh, lenses, the different increments by which to um, find your true prescription to help you see clearly. It's like, 
that's how you're supposed to see? <laughs> My goodness. So I no, I may not be fully blind. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm close in some regards. Um, if I didn't have my blind, you, you, it's not that I would not see people out there, but I would really have to try hard to see who's who. <laughs> you know, distinctions. And once you get more than two feet away, three feet away from me, it's kind of like, who's that? No, I can't be. I put my glasses on. Oh, it is. Okay. But yes, vision impaired. And it's interesting, too, that, that most classes I was in, in school worked to my advantage. Becker, top of the alphabet. I sat up front. <laughs> but every once in a while, I get one of those crazy teachers that do it reverse and put you in the back. <laughs> you know, trying to see what was being written. I just, again, thought their penmanship was terrible, <laughs> kind of like mine. <laughs> but no, most of the time, it was my, my eyes, my bad eyesight. Coming through. But anyway, still, the idea of having no sight, completely blind, completely in the dark, that I don't know. But I can imagine, you know, living a life like that uh, to the degree, how difficult, how hard uh, that would be. Especially at this time, they didn't have glasses then. And we're not optometrists to help you see better. You are completely dependent on friends, loved ones, by which to help move you around. There was no ADA, those who don't know, the, the, the uh, uh, handicapped accessible things, no Braille. Think about that. The Hebrew scriptures weren't written in Braille. Unless someone read them to you, spoke them to you, you wouldn't have heard. You wouldn't have known. So many things. Even in our society today, to, to, to go without sight is still a challenge and a difficulty that is hard to imagine. But so we pick up our passage here. Uh, verse uh, 22. It says, And he came to Bethesda, Bethsaida, uh, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Again, we've seen this before. We saw this with the, the man who was mute and deaf. They begged him. Begged him to touch him. Man, just his loved ones, people who cared about him. Please, just touch him. Again, all that had been going on. We're about halfway you know, at that halfway point in the book of Mark, about the halfway in the Lord's earthly ministry at this point, as it were. Probably a little over halfway in his earthly ministry, but, but still, everything that had been going on, all these healings, all these things that had been taking place. And Jesus of Nazareth comes to town. And they have this friend, they have this relative who, hasn't been, who cannot see. I know. Let's take him to see Jesus. He can do it. He can help him. And they beg him. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, what does he do first? Again, it is an interesting passage here of how the Lord goes about this, about how the Lord heals this man. First thing we see 
in verse 20, in verse 23, or not, yeah, verse 23, he says, so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. He leads him. First he meets him, and then he leads him. There's a lot there. There's some trust here. A blind man who's about to be led away by a man he's never actually met. If you couldn't see, would you go with someone that you've never met before? Probably not. Probably not. That takes some trust. That takes some faith. Faith, remember, it's always about faith. You never get very far from the issue of faith when we're talking about God. So we see in some level, at some capacity, this man had faith. He knew who was leading him away. He probably knew what he'd heard or what he'd been told. So there's some trust there that's going on. And I love, too, what it says. He took him by the hand. He took him by the hand. He doesn't just grab him by the back of the neck and kind of move him around <laughs> or something like that. He takes him by the hand. Come this way. Follow me. And too, there's a whole lot there we could take from that aspect, how the Lord even said to the disciples, follow me. He takes this man by the hand and leads him. And leads him out of town. I don't know how far that was. Were they in the center of the town, on the outskirts? Kind of started wondering after a while, where's this guy taking me? (laughs) How far is this trip going to take But he goes with him. He's him out of town. It's interesting. He did the same thing with the deaf mute man. Let him. Let him out. Let him away from the crowds. Let him away from the people, the multitudes. Now, there's a lot of things going on there, too. There's an aspect of, of personal attention. Personal attention. I'm going to take you over here, and I'm going to, going to minister to you individually. One-on-one. Personal attention. And how often we see that in the Lord's earthly ministry. He always is willing and has all the time to give that to someone. To give that kind of attention. Like Pastor Kern mentioned, he could have just, you know, snapped his fingers, okay, there you go, see, and kept on moving. Not even broken his stride. But he doesn't. He slows down. Leads him out of town however far that was, and is going to begin this work of healing. It's relational in many ways. But there's also another aspect here that could be taking place. I just want to put it out there, the, the, the aspect of a place that Bethsaida was in at the moment. In some ways, it could have been due to their unbelief. There's been several times in several places that the Lord had chastised, had called down upon the, the, the unbelief of certain towns, certain segments of society that he talked about. If you keep your finger here and just turn to Matthew uh, chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 and 21. I'm going to 
put on some readers, further evidence of my deteriorating eyes. (laughs) I need contacts to see far and now other help to see near. Yes, yes. But Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 20, begins a part of woes. Then he began, the Lord uh, began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. We'll stop there. We went through this passage once before when the Lord was up in Tyre and Sidon. But again, how many things the Lord had done there? How many miracles had he worked within the city and within that region And how few actually believed. Again, there's that part of the Lord, while he is the most compassionate, the most loving, the most caring, the most personal, the most relational, the most approachable. The Lord will also not contend with a rebellious man forever. There does come a point when the Lord says, you've made your choice. I'm going on be taking place here as well. But say that you've seen your miracles. You've had your time. I'm taking this man out of the town. You're not going to get to see anymore anymore from this point forward. It could be that as well. I think it's a little bit of both going on here. The relational, but also the putting behind, the shaking the dust off the feet as well. So we come back to our passage <coughs> in Mark, Mark chapter, two, chapter 8. So he's got this man. He's led him out of the town, led him away from everyone. And here we are back in, in um, verse 24. Or no, still in, in the second half of verse 23. And he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Okay, this is where it gets kind of interesting. (laughs) As if it hasn't been interesting thus far. Okay. He heals this man. One of the unique aspects of this miracle is that it is gradual, so to speak. Still immensely quick compared to anything a human being can do. But it doesn't all happen at once. Heals him gradually. This is a unique part of this miracle, that it wasn't instantaneous. And it's interesting, the Gospels, all four of them record at least seven healings of blind men, seven blind men who were healed throughout the Gospels. But this is the only one where it happens this way. But there's a step, two-step process here. Now, was, it, was the Lord just a little tired that morning, wasn't feeling it? You know, kind of like, oh, Sorry, buddy, you know, let's try this again, you know, kind of that aspect. No, no. <laughs> I think we all know that when the Lord does something, there's reasons for it. Because he could have. We know he heals instantaneously. He healed the woman with the flow of blood without even knowing it. 
Remember, he had to stop and say, power went out. Who touched me? Who's got faith enough to simply reach out and touch me and expect to be healed? Didn't even know it. He's healed without even being in the room. We saw that when he was up in Tyre and Sidon. And he healed the, the, the Gentile's woman, uh, daughter, of being demon-possessed. Could have been blocks away. Could have been miles away. That fast. The Lord could do it. And did do it at other times. But not this day. Not this time. We move through this. <laughs> Sorry for that cough, but as we look back again, it gets interesting. He he, he leads him away, puts his hands on, on him. Wait, I'm sorry. He and when he had spit on his eyes, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you got to stop there. If that doesn't cause you a moment of pause when you read through this, I don't know what. Because <laughs> it does me spit on his eyes again with the spitting. He did this with the deaf mute man. Is you know unique to the Lord's healing. Is just kind of what He does. Or is it you know again Him messing with a guy? You know, spin. did you feel that? Is that raining? Huh. You know, just getting a joke from the. No. No. You know that's not the case. Ah. But anyways, part what we see, you know, uh, an element that could be here is the aspect of water in the, the realm of healing and cleansing. This man can't see. Again, he's exercised faith and trust to be led away in this. Now, the context of the people, how often that water, when you go back into the Old Testament, how often under the law, water, water, washing, cleansing, the reality of water in, in the realm of healing, in many ways can't be understated. Is maybe a clue to what was taken again, justifying this man's faith, justifying his trust. This is what's going to be happening. Because I think we can all think some people we have faith, but there's sometimes still that little doubt, and the Lord's He'll honor that. Just keep coming, just keep trusting me, and He'll always give us enough to keep trusting Him. Now, I don't know for sure. I'm not going to say in a hill I'm going to die on here. But again, touching something that this man would know to be true, would know to understand, water is being used. Okay, okay, he's going to do this. He's going to do this. And he puts his hands on him. Now, that seems more straightforward. That's something we can understand. He puts his hands on him. Again, that's one thing his friends or relatives, whoever it was, begged the Lord to do. Put your hands on him to heal him. Put his hands on him. Comforting, reassuring. Of course it would be. Of course. And then he asks him if he saw anything. Kind of reminds me, like I say, if you've ever gone in for an eye exam, you, know, you just sit there. Yeah, you, maybe you've seen pictures of it. If you've never done, if your eyes are good enough, without it, you sit in front of this big, you know, 
thing. I'm not sure the technical term of what they call that. But all these little dials and all these little lenses that they flip, you know. Okay, we'll try this. And they click them around and it's like, okay, what do you see? And sometimes, you know, they've got that chart up there with the, with the different letters. How far down can you read? You know, it's like, okay, they dial it in. They're asking, okay, well, how's it going? Is this better? And they start tuning it in. Now, again, that seems odd. Now, the Lord could have put, you know, healed them to 2020 vision or better instantaneously. Like, times it takes a moment of pause here and ask them, do you see anything? Could be testing him. Again, because we've seen how often faith is part of healing. How the Lord, uh, again, in the area when, the, when he healed the paralytic talked about the faith, the faith of his friends, the faith of him that healed him. The woman with the flow of blood, he made it very specific to her that it was her faith that made that healing possible. It's faith. Again, that Gentile woman's daughter that we saw a few weeks, uh, a few times ago. Great is your faith. May wait for that healing. It could be those first steps of faith. What do you see? What do you see? Now, I don't know about you, and I know I've shared my testimony. I won't go into the whole aspect of it. But I know when I first got saved, you know what I you know what I knew? Not much. Not much. I knew some. We grew up going to, to, to church and Sunday school. We had a lot of head knowledge, not a lot, not, no heart. But I still didn't know much. I knew enough at that point. I knew enough that I was a sinner. I was going to hell. And that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me. But as I began to go from that point, I remember a very specific. This stands out in my mind. Now, for some would think it would, would be obvious. I remember, you know, I started reading, reading the Word, looking, you know, seeing things, <laughs> things for the first time. And one of the things that hit me, I just, it stunned me. It stopped me in my tracks. Was I was reading, I think, through the, the Gospel of Matthew and a commentary at the same time. And the point was made that at that point, I hadn't quite made the connection that it was Almighty God the creator of the universe who was hanging on that cross that day. And again, that should be obvious, but that hit me like a bolt of lightning out of the blue. Even though I'd already trusted in him as my savior and acknowledged him as the creator, the reality that the one who made the wood, made the iron for the nails, was the one hanging on that cross hit me. My vision got a little bit better that day. So much so, I think I sat there for an entire minute and a half or two minutes just sitting there looking ahead of what had just been revealed to me that day in that moment. Wow! The one who spoke the universe into existence is the very one who went to the cross. How did I not see that before? I was blind. But the Lord was increasing my vision more and more. 
He does that. I find a way not to get ahead of the story here in Mark either, but it just keep your finger and it'll just take a quick little peek and eventually we'll see a little later. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Uh, I find it interesting what this man says. It's an instance where a father comes to have the Lord heal his son of being demon-possessed. But what he says here I find very interesting. Mark chapter 9, verse 23 Yeah, verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believe. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I think how like all of us. There's so many areas of, of faith and a relationship with the Lord where we do believe. But there's these little pockets, these little spots that we have doubts, uncertainties. The Lord knows it. He understands. He's not looking for perfect faith. If he was looking for perfect faith, he'd have to start over. (laughs) You ain't going to find it on this side of eternity. But he knows. And he works with that. He says, just a little bit farther. Okay. What do you see? Okay, what does the man see back in in, in chapter 8? Interesting, he says, and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. So at this point, he's partially healed. He can see better than he has before, better than he has uh, perhaps for his entire life. He can see shapes. Interesting there, men like trees. How did he know what trees look like? Things again, I don't know. Perhaps people just described them to him. That happens. People who don't have sight can, can, can be described objects, it can get an understanding, a comprehension of what things look like around them. It could be that simple. Also, could have been be that maybe he wasn't blind his entire life, there was an accident, there was an illness. How he lost his sight. We don't know. It's interesting. He says, I see men like trees walking. So this this healing, we see this minor pause. Okay, he he brings him to this point. And then he's going to take him the rest of the way. I already said, faith can be a process. Take time to build, time to grow. And this is true for us today. This is my own sense. Salvation is like seeing for the first time, and it is incredible. Everything starts coming into view. I know beforehand that I had ideas, thoughts on different issues, different topics that were complete opposite of what I think today. Switched, many of them that fast. A few others had to come around and start seeing like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense anymore. This, this is true. This is the reality. Now I see. Now I get it. 
to this day, many things are still like that as the Lord reveals his truth. Yeah, it's like, wow, I see pretty good. And he says, yeah, well, he turns those dials again. Yeah, how about now? Whoa! <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, go with that one. That's how I like to see. Kind of reminds me of that, that, that aspect, too, of faith like a child. They believe so easily early on in life. I think all parents have been to that point when their child just, you know, they, they, different moments where they'll just jump. That's always a big one. <laughs> they're standing on something and you're like, oh yeah, come to, whoa! And they're like halfway through the air before you even put your arms up. Thankfully, you catch them. <laughs> Got enough reflexes for it. There's just trust. There's faith. As you grow older, sometimes that analytical mind, that part of us that, well, but what about this? Well, what about that? Wants to get answered. But if it's honest inquiry, the Lord will meet you there. He always does. And he'll keep bringing us further. Further up and further in, as C.S. Lewis would say. So it brings this man to, a, to a, a partial healing, as you will. It's not quite the best way. That's kind of a clumsy way to really put it. But he's part way. The Lord picks up his healing in verse 25. He says, Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Again, he puts his hands on his eyes. Before he put his hands on him, on his shoulders, on his hands, we don't know exactly. But here it makes it very specific. He puts his hands on his eyes and makes him look up. Jesus was not going to leave this man with impaired vision. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. Just like he doesn't leave his people with impaired vision today in a spiritual sense. He keeps working on us. Getting that vision where it will see perfectly. He put his hands on him and had him look up. And this, I think, is definitely significant. There's so much there. Aspect of looking up. One, I think it's significant because if it wasn't, the Lord wouldn't have done it. Kind of that simple. Now, did he have him look up towards heaven or up at him? Yes. <laughs> so Think both. It, it, it doesn't say exactly, but it says he looked up. He looked up. He could have had him get him, put his hands up and look straight up at heaven, getting his eyes set on the vertical. How often humanity that we're looking on the horizontal, looking at the things we can see and understand. The Lord's always trying to get us to look towards heaven. Look up. Get our focus heavenward. I also think upwards could have been simply looking at the Lord. In many ways, I think that's the most applicable. <laughs> Maybe I like it simply because the idea, the reality, that the first thing that this man saw clearly was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Well, it's just good writing right there. <laughs> that is just good storytelling. It's just a beautiful reality. 
the very first thing he could see clearly and perfectly was the face of God looking back at him. It just don't get no better than that, does it? No, it doesn't. Reminds you of the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of life will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen indeed, brother. This man was able to see things clearly for the first time. And it began with looking at the Lord. He began to see things clearly first for the first time physically. But I don't think it stopped there. I don't think his vision ended just with the physical, what he could see. Faces, people, things. He began to see things clearly for the first time spiritually. Again, this man probably did hear the word preached, the Old Testament spoken and preached probably quite often, given where he lived and the reality of that, that um, society. But he finally began to see things as they truly were meant to be seen and understood. Again, this is how you're supposed to see. Whoa. <laughs> this is incredible. The same is, and it is the same for us today. Everything begins to make sense. Everything begins to fall into place. You say, those three questions that every person, every human being uh, asks and wants answered at some point in their life. And I think most of us know them. The first is, where did I come from? How did I get here? At some point, they ask that question. Kids, I'm sure many parents have been asked that question. Mom, where do babies come from? Oh, I wasn't ready for that one today. That kind of question. But it goes deeper than that as you get older. Okay, physically I can make sense of that, but where did this come from? Where did this come from? It's harder to answer if you don't know the Lord. Where did I come from? What am I doing here? What am I supposed to be doing here? What's the purpose of all this? What's my place in this world, this universe? I just turned 49. Not a secret there, but anyways, you know, those mid-40s to 50s, it's been known as that's supposed to be your, like, you know, potentially your midlife crisis time. For, for up until now, I never fully understood why. Never fully. And of course, again, I think it was one of those times that the Lord just kind of, this is why. Because most people don't get this, this question answered. At least satisfactorily. They're still wondering. What am I supposed to be doing here? What's the purpose of it all? Why, what does it matter? Is there meaning to this life? If it's not answered properly and satisfactorily, you'll go chasing a male manner of things to try and get it answered. It'll drive some people nuts. Mad even. And finally, the last one, uh, the last main one, where am I going? 
when this life is over, when I punch out of here, what happens? Oh, you better believe people ask that question. Whether they voice it to you or not, it's on their minds. And still, it began to be on my mind before I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't know why. I've been, I've been in a lot of funky places, so to speak, in construction. Some dangerous places. In some regards, it's, it's, it's a miracle. I still have all my digits, and all my appendages, and then I haven't spent a significant time in the ER. It's very close calls. <laughs> Different moments. I remember one time, it wasn't even that dangerous. I was just up in a big chair picker. It's a big... Uh, a basket machine with a big long arm. We're about 40 feet in the air. It's not too high, high enough. And we're putting these big beams in and, and, and things were just moving because the, the strap holding the beam, you know, because it was a big beam. We're talking like, I think it's like 15,000 pounds or more. And every once in a while, a nylon beam, it would mm, slip because it would be tightening. Freaked me out. <laughs> I was thinking, if that thing goes, it's going to take out this machine I'm standing in. And I've got nowhere to go <laughs> except down. It's weird. I think that was evident. The Lord was working. He was answering prayers by family members. Get me thinking, it's like, what is going to happen to me? If today is the day, where am I going to go? Where am I going to be? I didn't get it answered that day, but in, that was only a few, like a month few weeks before I was led to that point of decision of trusting Christ as my Savior. And thankfully, he did answer that question. Now I know where I'm going. Without any doubt, I'm going to be with the Lord for all eternity simply because he went to the cross for me. Ah. Oh. But again, that's things that the Lord begins to answer. Those are things that outside, away from Christ, don't get answered. People are grasping all over the place, trying to answer those kinds of questions. But they can't find it. They can't find it. So I think that that's something that this man finally beginning to see. He was seeing for the first time. As we come to the tail end of this, is finding again, this is an interesting ending to this event. As I find it. It's one of those points as he gives final instruction. Like almost any physician does. We've seen it before. You know, he heals a man and he often sends him with some final instructions before he goes. And most doctors do that. Okay, you know, get some bed rest, get plenty of fluids to, you know, stay away from this and that. You know, if you've had cataract surgery, they'll tell you to stay away from people who smoke and things like that nature. Don't, you know, keep it clean <laughs> and all that. So what kind of instruction does the Lord give? Well, he says, then he sent him away to his house saying, either go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Hmm. Seems counterintuitive to me. Again, that asked me, the man had just been given his sight back, potentially for the first time. You'd think, go tell everybody. The town's right there. Let them know. No, he doesn't say that. He says, don't tell anyone in the town. 
kind of brings me back to that potential out of the Lord's judgment on that town and the people who live there. He wants people to be known, but he sends them home. Because it gives the idea that maybe this man wasn't from Bethsaida. Sends him home. Go back to your house. Don't go into the town and don't tell anyone in the town. Often I think part of this is he wanted him to be a witness where he lived. It could also be that simple there. The people in this town don't know you. Don't know you from Adam. May not believe anything you tell them. Maybe think you're just selling something. But you go home. Your neighbors know you. Your neighbors know what condition you were in. Your family members and on. You be a witness there. How often that is in our lives, the moment we get saved. He definitely sends some people off to the far ends of the earth be a witness, to be a missionary. But often the first people we're called to be missionaries to are the people who live closest to us. Because they know. I had some guys I worked with. <laughs> to quote one man after I got back, he's like, he's different. Uh, he's own plumber. He told some guys at work one time, they said, man, the guys I was working with, currently, they never snew me before. And he was this plumber. He said, man, that guy's different. <laughs> like, really? What was he like before? I only told him some stories. <laughs> so I'll tell you, he said, the last time I saw that man, he was standing on top of a forklift, yelling and screaming and threatening to throw someone off a building. True story. <laughs> I'm proud of it. <laughs> and the one guy, they all says, I can't imagine that. I said, that's the power of the Lord. The power of the Lord. Just a side note, part of the reason I did stuff like that is because I was terrified <laughs> that I was just a big fraud. <laughs> really didn't know what I was doing, and I'd cover up with anger and loudness and screaming and yelling because, of course, that makes a strong man. Don't you believe it? But, anyways, now the Lord sends us to be a witness. Often he sends us right where we live because those people know, man, that guy's changed. She's different. The Lord's going to use that in a powerful way. One last thing I thought I'd share. Uh, of course, can't go too far down through a message without thinking of a country song. One of my favorites happens to be a song by Hank Williams, Sr., you know anything about Hank Williams? Man, he was a rough life. It's a rough life. And he died young. I forget, I should have written it. He was, I don't think he was even in his early 40s. It's a rough life he lived. But he wrote a song. And I heard someone one time say, it's like, I don't ever knew him personally, but anyone who can write a song like that makes me think he might have known the Lord before he went. I'm going to share it. And the song was, I Saw the Light. It goes like this. That I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered alone, wandered along, 
worries and fears I claimed for my own. Then like the blind man that God gave back his sight, praise the Lord, I saw the light. I was a fool to wander and stray, for straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I don't know about anyone here. Don't know where you may be. Maybe those who are sitting out there on the internet watching. But if you're still living in darkness, away from the truth, away from salvation, today can be that day. This moment can be that moment. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for your sins and was risen again by faith, you may have eternal life. If you believe that, welcome to the family. Just as in this passage, the one who is the light of the world still gives sight to those who live in darkness. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give much thanks for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross on our behalf and I do pray for any of those who are out there here or listening somewhere who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that they may this time that they may see the light and no longer walk in darkness in your name Lord Jesus we pray Amen